All right, Lucas, I have a question for you. How'd dad die? I'm Bryce, this is Plastic Urns, and if it wasn't clear, Lucas is my brother. He just moved back to the US after spending the last 10 years in Hong Kong. He's a Bob Dylan superfan, a poet, and a professor of Chinese studies. He's married to his wife, Akiko, and his two young kids, Quentin and Celia. When this was recorded, our dad, Paul, had died about five months prior after a tenuous journey with esophageal cancer. And we'll get to that, but first, a story about ice cream. Are you familiar with Jenny's ice cream? Uh, I don't... It sort of rings a bell, but no. So, Jenny's ice cream has a cursive logo. Uh-huh. Of J in kind of a squiggle. Yeah. E-N-I apostrophe S. Dad, <laughs> after... So, Dad got... Uh, he had prostate cancer among the esophageal cancer. And for the prostate cancer, he got radiation to address it. And after that was over, he went and he either bought a ton of gift cards or ice cream from Jenny's to give it to all of the nurses and the doctors who help with the prostate radiation Uh because the logo looks like the word penis. (laughs) Which is an amazing fact. That's awesome. (laughs) That's great. And now, back to that whole dying thing. Our dad, Paul, was first diagnosed with esophageal cancer and given six months to live. And then he shattered every odd and lived for six and a half years. For most of that time, Lucas was in Hong Kong and I was in California while our dad was home in Chicago. I would visit regularly until the pandemic hit and our dad became increasingly concerned that his infirm state would leave him particularly vulnerable. After months of hearing it was too risky or too much effort to fly to Chicago, at the beginning of October, our dad finally allowed us to visit. Having seen how quickly my mother's decline at the end of her life was, I flew out immediately. And I expected to visit for a few days and then come back again weeks later. But nearly the moment I arrived, I realized that there would be no return trip. A week after I landed in Chicago, Lucas too came in from Hong Kong. It was a week before I flew that I booked the tickets. And... I didn't actually, I didn't expect that it was, I didn't think that he was going to die when I was there. I I thought that this would be the last time I, I I thought it might be the last time I I saw him, but I didn't think, I thought I would, I would be able to spend a week with him. We could spend some time together and then, and then I would come home, you know, go back to Hong Kong, which was, which was home then. So, but it was, but, but you, Bryce, you had been there for a week already. And so a few things happened. I mean, at one point, I said to him, Dad, I, I booked tickets to go see you. And, and I think you were, it was early in the morning in Chicago. It was evening in Hong Kong. Uh, I think you were maybe still, I don't know if you were still asleep. But anyway, you were still upstairs, Bryce. And, and, and I said, Dad, I booked tickets to come see you. And he said, I thought you were already here. And so it was, it was a moment like that that had been, you know, not completely non-existent to me, but relatively rare. And, you know, that that was one of those sort of moments where, where I, I realized, okay, this is, this is actually much worse than I had been 
then I've allowed myself to believe, or perhaps that he's allowed us to believe, or, or whatever. And then you, you know, you, you Bryce told me that he, you had seen his his decline, his his deterioration in in the week that you'd been there had been really rapid. And so when I packed, I packed a suit, and I didn't hope that it was necessary. But you had told me that the decline was had been so drastic uh, and and dramatic and 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 quick that I thought, well, if I end up going for a week and I don't want to leave after one week and then he dies and I stay a little longer, you know, then I will want to have a suit for his funeral. And it was even quicker than that. So I flew into Chicago. You picked me up at the airport. You told me that he had entered a state of terminal agitation. So he was sort of agitated about everything, complaining about everything. And it was, you know, one of the indicators of as, as I, I believe you explained to me, one of the indicators of of his death going to be pretty soon. But I didn't realize that it was, I mean, I still thought at that point he would have a few days, that I would have a few, you know, some chances for for a conversation, some quality time with him. You know, um, my wife, Akiko, had written a letter that we wanted to, that, that she asked me to read to him. So, you know, by the time I, I read that letter to him, I mean, he was not really even even conscious. Uh, I think at, at some level he he may have, he, he may have heard it, but not the way that we had planned on him hearing it. Even when I was on the airplane, by the way, like, I mean, you know, Akiko and, and the kids were, were having a, a FaceTime chat with him. Uh, you know, he was in bed but he and, and wasn't really able to get up, but he was, you know, active and present and making funny faces to the kids. And then, you know, a matter of hours later, I get in. And he, he was sort of hallucinating. And he was, on the one hand, very happy to see me, but he was hallucinating. And he said, and he said, right, I'm happy on the ceiling. And I did. And he said, it didn't work. And and we sort of said a couple other things, but he said, I'm happy. You know, I gave him a kiss. And that was about it. I mean, really, uh, there were a couple of other sort of moments after that. He complained about one thing or another. He, you know, he needed to go pee. I think he, the next morning he said, hurry. But really, like, that was it. That was the last sort of moment of consciousness that 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 he had. And so a day and a half later, he he died. And it was, I mean, it was really, it really was very amazing. It was incredibly fast, you know, for me to go from acknowledging that I was existing in a kind of, in a, in something like a state of denial. It was, it was easy for me because of, you know, being far away because of living, you know, on the other side of the planet, literally, and talking to him mostly through with my kids there. And because he'd been, you know, he'd been going, he'd been living for so long, you know, and I mean, with, with this sickness, I mean, yeah, he was supposed to die in six, six months after his diagnosis and he, and he, and he kept going, you know, year at month after month, year after year. And then it's very, it was very easy to think he's incredibly strong. He's, he'll, he'll, he will just continue. And then to go from that to, I show up and I see him, you know, in his, in his deathbed and, and his, 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 his shirt and the, and the blankets. I mean, it smelled like a combination of, of you know, sweat and piss, and you know, it was it was it was pretty pretty gross. But also, like, that's probably what death smells like. So, I mean, you know, we had, we had tried to get Amy or Dad's. Uh, Amy and I. Well, Amy asked me to help get Dad's shirt off. So we, you know, pushed him up onto his shoulder, and then when Jin was there, like, really, right right before he died, I, I mean, maybe not even, like with, with, probably within an hour of him dying. For context, Amy is her stepmother, and Jin was her father's physical therapist and healer. 
she said, oh, you know, this is his shoulder that where he's got arthritis and he's always been really sensitive about being on the shoulder and it probably would hurts him a, a little bit. And like, then we moved him, we repositioned him so he was not lying on his arthritic shoulder. And and then and then he, he died soon after that. And I was thinking, God, like, I'm trying to do something helpful and supportive. And I end up like laying him on his on his arthritic shoulder that, that has been hurting him. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I do kind of blame myself for that sort of like leaving him in pain for just the hours before he, he, he finally died. Sure. But I imagine it, if you were feeling anything, it was much more comfort that you were there around him. And like, he may have been in pain, but doesn't really well, affect well, him now, well, does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it, it, it doesn't. But at this, I, I can tie myself a knot sure. over these things and, you know. Have I ever told you about my mother's abhorrence of leaf blowers? I don't, I think you mentioned it, yeah. She hated the sound of leaf blowers. Especially <laughs> oh, yes, gas-powered yes. ones. Yes, you have. <laughs> and as we were sedating her, two houses over, someone was leaf blowing. <laughs> And, but, and it was like a hot, like, spring day. So I was frantically running around trying to figure out, like, which windows to open <laughs> in order right. to, like, allow some cold air in but minimize the leaf blowing sound. Yeah. And right. it, was the, it was the cruel irony of a leaf blower as she was and, dying. And, and, you, and you really wanted the last thing she heard to be you saying, I love you, Mom. And, 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 and you were afraid that the last thing she would hear would be... <laughs> I knew she hated it. And like I could clearly yeah. hear it, even with the windows closed. Mm-hmm. And she didn't notice at all. Yeah. And like a, a leaf blower is not the exact same thing as an arthritic shoulder, but right. dad's arthritic shoulder probably brought him as much pain as leaf blowers brought my mother, and yeah. she didn't notice them. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't think it's the thing you need to beat yourself up over. It's not. Yeah. I mean... I suppose that at one level, it's an indication of me feeling, it may be an indication of me feeling inadequate, right? That I wasn't there enough for, for, for him in, in, the, in the years. And like, as much as I tried to visit, as much as all, I did all these things, I still didn't really get a sense of what was going on. I didn't, I wasn't really there to sort of, to help out, to, to, to take care of him. And, and, and so that's one, one sort of instantiation of that, like, of that general sense of, guilt or 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 something you know i i can time like i said i can time myself in knots about about being in denial and, and taking advantage of being far away to not really like realize that the, the fact that dad was dying but the fact was like you know he was biking 17 miles a day for five and a half years of his of his cancer i mean like he was he was doing he was doing really well for a lot of that time and it really made it possible to believe that he was just going to get better at the same time, at the same time, like, you know, I, t- I remember telling my students before I flew to Chicago, I'm not going to be in Hong Kong next week. I'm going to be in Chicago. My dad has health issues or something. My dad is sick, you know, and then someone chat wrote in the chat, oh, I hope your dad gets gets better. I'm like, yeah, I mean, thank you. I get that you say that, but like, no, <laughs> he's not. And that's something, too, that like, that that's actually a really difficult thing. I mean, and he talked about, like... Yeah, no, there's no, there's, there is no getting better. I mean, and, and we have that impulse for like, oh, get well soon or, or nope, once you're in hospice, like, that's it. How was it going and then sitting on a, what, 
13 hour flight. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. And then going into no, fi- a hotel actually, room for- actually 15. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So what's well, it like going on a 15 hour flight, then sitting in a hotel room for two weeks immediately post father's death? Who would, was it you who recommended the trial of the Chicago seven or someone recommended the trial of the Chicago seven? Uh, to me, and I watched this, and and I, I really liked it. But in, in in the beginning, so at the beginning of this movie, you know, just watching this movie, I knew that it was going to sort of bring up memories of of dad. And then the first thing is like, there's a draft, and then they show somebody like they pull an, a date, and they said everybody born on December thirtieth has to report for the draft. Like that's the first words of this movie. It's dad's birthday, <laughs> and it's I know it's going to remind me about dad. And then like the first thing they say is, you know, basically happy birthday, Paul. You're drafted. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so when he went into hospice, Bryce, you were like, yeah, he's, it's going to be a Zoom funeral. And I was like, well, that's not, that's, you know, that's fucking sucks. But, but actually, I mean, in a lot of ways, a Zoom funeral was, was, was really kind of nice. Like for one, one thing, I, like in, in my two weeks in quarantine, I watched, I watched the funeral a couple of times, like went through that, went over that, you know. Why? Why? Were you taking notes for your, like, <laughs> you got a big career as a eulogy, as a eulogist plan? No, big to, to, to remember him and, and to, and to go through that, you know, to, to sort of be sad. I mean, it, it, because it, because on the one hand, like, you're like, oh, wow, you just went through this, this, this intense week where you saw your, you know, you flew to Chicago, you see your dad. Soon after that, he dies, you bury him. You have a, a Zoom funeral, and then you fly back to Hong Kong, and you have to deal with all of this on your own and be, you know, alone, and you're sort of confronted with yourself. But, you know, when I'm confronted with myself, it's also very easy for me just to read and write and do other stuff. I mean, I had other, other, I had other like academic projects that I had to be working on, and so mm-hmm. work was going on, and so I wanted to, in that space where I was in quarantine, in that space where I was in a, you know, very small hotel room on my own, like I wanted to. To find ways to to grieve and feel that and 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 feel something, you know. I mean, there was another moment where uh, so ordinarily we would we would chat on on WhatsApp on my phone, on, on his phone, you know, using the video call function on, on a phone. And there was, but there was one time that uh, I called him on Zoom. And dad was the first person that, that I knew who had used Zoom. He, so he was, he was in Zoom before Zoom was big. You know, he was like a trendsetter. God, he was the first person that anybody knew who, who used Zoom. Back in the day, he would call Zoom tech support and they'd say, oh, hi, Paul. Like, that's... <laughs> You know, they had like a handful of clients and he and he was one of the one of the big ones. As a reminder, Lucas has two kids, Celia, who is four and a half and Quentin, who is eight. But so so, you know, so Quentin, who who was in Zoom class, was like playing around with like different backgrounds and stuff. And then dad was too, and they were both playing with different backgrounds. And then I said, okay, enough of this. Let's, let's talk about, let's stop with the backgrounds. And then Quentin said, no, I want to do one more background. Grandpa, go back to that one background that you, that you had. And dad said, where are the backgrounds? How do I get back to virtual backgrounds? And he sort of asked himself, asked Amy, and he, he had just been doing them like minutes before. And, and, and he had been using zoom for years and he knew all about virtual backgrounds. He'd had a, you know, a green screen put up in his, in his office back when, you know, back when you needed a green screen uh, uh, to do virtual backgrounds. And 
He knew all about you know, virtual backgrounds, where to find them on Zoom, all of that. He had just been doing them with Quentin, just been playing with them. And a minute later, he's, where are they? I mean, he just like something happened in his brain and he, you know. So that was another moment where, I don't know, the veneer dropped or something. I mean, you know, he, his whole life he had, he had never really wanted to admit weakness. He'd, he'd never wanted to acknowledge being sick or being whatever. And I think that really came out. I mean, I think a lot of people are like this, but but Dad especially. I mean, you know, that really came out in his last, in, in his calls with us, with me, Akiko, and the kids. It's really, I mean, it's really interesting. On the one hand, you know, Celia can say, are you sick, Grandpa? And he's like, yes, I'm sick. I have cancer. I'm dying. Like, and she did, that's not what she meant. <laughs> she meant, do you have a cold? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, do, do you need some vitamin C? Like, that's what she meant, you know. But anyway, so like, it, it is an interesting sort of, it, it's, it's, it's a curious kind of, you know, tension or, or conflict. On the one hand, he could be that brutally honest about things. And on the other hand, he was, in a lot of ways, he was in something close to the amount of denial about his own mortality as I was about his, you know. I mean, his death was as, as unreal to me, to him, as it was to me. Did he say anything else to Quentin and Celia about dying or not? I'm curious how he presented that information to them. I mean, they knew that he had cancer. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Quentin was born only a few months before before Dad's diagnosis. I don't actually even remember what month and year Dad's diagnosis was. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say. But, I don't um, know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, now I'm a little less embarrassed. Or maybe more embarrassed I mean, for, for both of us? I don't know. Um, he died either way. Like. <laughs> So, you know, so so they had known that he was sick for a while, but when he went into hospice and he did really actually want to talk to them and and say, you know, this is what's going on and I'm and I'm sick and I'm and I'm and I'm dying. And at one point, I mean, Quentin got really angry, really upset, and he, you know, and I don't know, a seven-year-old getting upset that they may be bound to say dramatic things, and he's like, I I want to die, you know. And you know, I, I really get upset when I hear my son say that. I think obviously but on the on on a, on a call with dad he said he said grandpa i want i want to switch places with you so like quentin you know quentin knew and I, I think that impressed dad too i mean he and i talked about that a little bit a little bit later too how did dad um, react to that one when he said i want to switch places with you yeah so i don't i don't, I don't remember exactly but he was he, he he kind of gave he gave a very calm response i don't remember what the response was but Mm-hmm. Yeah, but 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 I remember like I remember being I was sort of mortified that, that Quentin had said this, and then but then Dad was like, "Oh, okay." Some something like, "Why do you think that?" or something like, "That's a very serious thing to say," or something like, you know, not like, a, "Oh my God, what did you?" You know, how did Quentin and Celia find out he was dying? How did they find out he was dying? Yeah, I don't even remember. How did they find out he he died? Is it a, a different kind of story? The day that he died, I, I mean, I tried to call Akiko on WhatsApp, but, you know, it was the middle of her night, and so she didn't, you know. And then Quentin called me in the morning, and we were chatting, and I said, I have sad news. And he said, he said, is Grandpa, is Grandpa dead? And I said, yeah. And Quentin started crying, like, like immediately. And then, like, you know, sort of wiping away his tears and pretending that he wasn't crying. But, <laughs> but uh, and then he, like, had to go to school. Like, it was really, like, not a very unfortunate kind of, like, he had to go down to the school bus. And then I was sort of talking to Celia, and I said, I mentioned that to, to Celia that, that, that Grandpa had died, and, and she was like, no, no, I don't want to talk. And, I, and at this point, Akiko and I were talking about this, and Celia was like, no, I don't want to, 
I don't want to talk about. And then she got sort of angry with me about talking to 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 Akiko about this, you know, or or just angry about the whole situation. And she just did sort of shut it out. And then like a day later, you know, she was sort of playing in a room on her own, and then she comes out crying, and she's like, "I miss Grandpa," you know. No one's gonna buy me dresses. <laughs> it's because you know. He would go online. He would just buy dresses, or she loved him. For months, her favorite dresses were the what you know, the ones that he had sent. Why? Why did Quentin have to go to school? Because at that time there was in-person school in Hong Kong. Well, so I, it was less of a question of why does a child go into a building than a question of why, <laughs> why did, did he me, take why the day he, off? Because I had not spoken with Akiko in the hours since Dad had died. Like it was unexpected. They didn't have a plan in in, in advance of like. Okay, on the day, I, and that said, like, on the one hand, I think it's important for a child to to be given the space to grieve, you know, however they want to, right? However they, they need to. On the other hand, one thing that helps in, in moments like that with children is, is, is routine and doing what is normal and just sort of going back and, and, and realizing that, like, yes, people die. Yes, bad things happen. Yes, sad things happen. But also, life goes on. And the way that kids understand that is... By following a certain routine, mm-hmm. you know, bedtimes, mealtimes, homework, I mean, school, if it's there. Hmm. One of the things that makes me saddest about him dying when he did is that, is that my kids are so young. And I really want them to be able to have strong memories of, of, of him and, uh, and, and good memories. You know, dad was always really good with kids and he was really good with, with my kids. You know, and like dad and Quentin would like build Legos together and. So, so like, I think, I guess what happened was it started with a visit that we made to Chicago and dad bought a bunch of Legos and then Quentin and dad worked on them together and they had a lot of fun. And then I think dad actually started buying Legos of his own to work on for a little while after that. Like that was his like flavor of the month, like buying Legos, like <laughs> building his own Legos. And then like he and Quentin would sort of compare. And then, in the, <laughs> so anyway, in the last like six, in, the, in his time in the hospice, like there was one thing that Quentin put together. And, and I remember one time I was... I was having a, a, a WeChat talk with, with dad and I was sort of sitting and holding the phone. And I think it was when the cancer had spread to his brain and he, you know, he was like, hold the phone more stable. It's really, I'm getting a headache. And so he was getting bad headaches. And then at one point, Quentin was like, took the phone and said, look, grandpa, this is, and it was all these bright Lego colors and, and Quentin was going too fast. And dad was just, he, he couldn't handle it. And he said, no, Quentin, stop. I can't. And, and, the colors, the vibrating, the, not the vibrating, the shaking uh, uh, phone, not really being able to relate to the Lego thing that, that Quentin was making, all of these things. It was just a bad combination for dad. And he reacted badly and he told Quentin to stop. And Quentin got, oh my God, Quentin was so upset. He was so, he was so hurt, you know, that like, here I am, I like built this thing. I'm proud of it and I'm showing you and you, and you can't, and you're telling me to stop. And it was like, it was, that was a very difficult moment for, well, for everybody, actually. I mean, dad felt really bad about it. He wanted to like, you know, the next day he tried to apologize to Quentin and Quentin was not like, you know, he didn't really even want to talk to him. And because I knew the dad was dying, I could not, I did not feel that I was in a position to say like, what the hell dad? Like just fucking let him, you know, let him show you his Legos because, because I also, I understood that like, because of, you know, seeing those, seeing all that, like that, that was giving him a headache and he was not in a place where he could actually could see it, where he could like appreciate that. It was kind of difficult because, like, the kids, on the one hand, they, they wanted to talk to Dad. Or sometimes they wanted to do something else. And I really wanted them to talk to Dad. And then Dad was like, I don't want them to feel, com- I don't want them to feel forced to talk to me. 
But I did want I did want them to I did want to force them to talk to dad. I wanted them to know who he is. I wanted mm-hmm. them to have a sense. I wanted like, yeah, I get it, dad. You don't want them to you don't want to be like, uh, you know, spinach, right? Like you don't want to have to like something that's good for you, but you don't enjoy it. Like you, you want them to actually want to talk to you. And if they don't, then fine. But that no, I want them to talk to you whether they like it or not. <laughs> they, they will they will they will value it later. What did you talk to him about? Because like I would also talk to him every day. It's like, I, I, nothing happened in my life today. Nothing happened in the world today. Nothing happened. You didn't do anything. You stayed in the same spot. Like, it was, there were some days where it was a struggle. There was a lot of pressure on this call. It's like, I need to entertain. I need to be dynamic. It's like, yeah, I went to work. I came back. I filled in the spreadsheet. Like, yeah. We talk about politics or current events. We talk about news. We talk about Hong Kong. And, you know, he would, he, he was, you know, he was often good with questions, you know. And then sometimes he was like, we don't have to talk. I only want you to call me if you actually feel like you have something to say. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I'm like, I don't want to talk to you less. You're fucking dying. Like, <laughs> you're in a hospice and you want me to, like, skip a day? No. <laughs> Are there any moments that stand out as the best from the experience of his dying? So, you know, pick from six years. Um, so about... Little over a year ago, so so end of January, uh, early February of 2020. So 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 COVID had already sort of taken over the city of Wuhan, and it was sort of spreading into other parts of China. And but we flew from Hong Kong to Chicago, and uh, spent a week in Chicago. And we basically said, we you know we want to go and visit you. And Dad had said, and Dad said earlier, he said, the four of you coming here is going to be too much for me to handle. I get tired really easily. I get you know, it's going to be too much. So two of you can come, whichever two. And so we said, well, how about, how about all four of us come, but we just stay at an Airbnb or something nearby? Like, and that's what we did. So we just got an Airbnb. And I think it worked out really well. But there was one day that we were there and Celia, who, I mean, she was three and a half. And for some reason, she was just crying and crying and crying. And dad, who, you know, he was not wrong. He, he was very sensitive to noise. He was, he got tired very easily. He, he was really not happy with, with Celia's crying. I mean, I, no one was, but, you know, I was used to it. And, uh, and he had been, and he, I don't know when, how, when he had mo- driven most recently or what, but, or, or, or anything. I mean, he barely left the home at that point. And he was complaining about his balance, too. So, you know, a few months after that, I mean, he went to the hospital and had brain surgery, you know, radio surgery on, on, on the, the cancer that had spread to his brain. And he just sort of went, on the one hand, he went like, Oh, Celia, please stop. This is too much. And then, and then he was like, okay, he's just sort of, he rallied. He just like sat up and he's like, okay, Lucas, come with me. And he went out the front door and he got in the car and he drove me somewhere and we like ran some errands or got a sandwich or something like that. And we did that for, I don't know if we were gone for maybe half an hour anyway, but, but like, but by the time we got back, you know, Celia was, had moved on to something else to, you know, she was no longer screaming and crying and. And that was just this moment where amidst all of the everything else being difficult, this half hour moment of it was like it was like before. Anything else you want to say? No, I think that's a wonderful way to end. (laughs) I tried. I tried to find just the right moment. (laughs) Thank you so much to Lucas, to Brian Pedersen for the support, and to Coco Brennan for the music. Get stoked for next week. Where, I don't know who we're talking to yet, but I promise it'll be someone cool. As always, 
tell your friends about us, do cool things, and if you liked it, give us a review wherever you listen.